Aren't you glad the semifinals came out the way that they did? What could you possibly mean by that? Well, remember when you said you wouldn't record another Roland Garros episode of Zvera Beats Tsitsipas? Oh yeah, I guess I did say that, and here we are. In Rome? No, recording another French Open episode. Hello everyone and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast for Gen Z tennis fans. We're your hosts, Josefina and Shravya. Shravya and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Josefina and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the female Gen Z voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for. So we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. Well, hello everyone. Today is, well, technically today is June 12th. It's kind of uh, the the early hours of June 12th, um, where we are. But it is June 12th, the day of the French Open Women's Singles Final. And Josefina and I are here with episode 63 to preview both the finals. We're going to recap the semis a bit too, and a little bit of the quarters. But really, we're here to talk about the final rounds of the tournament, where we are now. And I remember a few weeks ago, Josefina was like, covering the French Open is going to be so freaking difficult because it's the same week as our like final tests, final assessments and stuff. Josefina's out of school and has been out of school for a week. Meanwhile, I've been here scrapping away at my final assignments and stuff this entire week. So tired and there's so much chaos at the same time going on in Paris that it's, it's, a, it's a lot to keep up with. It really is. If you can barely keep up with going, what's going on here, how are you expected to keep up with what's going on halfway across the world? Exactly, exactly. But that's why we're here to we, we <laughs> catch... Despite yeah, the we, circumstances. We, yes, it's, been, it's definitely been a lot of chaotic tennis, but honestly, it's the French Open, so what did we really expect? Um, but... I mean, it's nice to now finally get a chance to sit down and process everything that has happened since our last episode, because a lot has happened. So, starting off with some of the quarterfinals, some notable ones are that, or all of them, actually. Krychikova <laughs> defeated Coco Gauff, 7-6, 6-3, and we're just completely, not shocked, but like, amazed and in awe of the fact that Coco made it all the way to the quarterfinals and the thing is it was at the point where it was kind of expected of her also because of first a lot she had a lot of pressure on her exactly first of all her draw second of all how well she had been doing before then um in Parma where she won the singles and the doubles so she Mm -hmm. had a lot of pressure and once again she showed that she can handle it she's here to stay she's like such a sensation it's amazing yeah and she's definitely super comfortable on the clay and i think the moment that we talked about this in our last episode the moment that ash barty retired from her match and withdrew that section of the draw was screaming coco because i mean considering her form she really looked poised to make a deep run and i think that she is only positives really to take away from these past two weeks agreed and then we have Maria Sakkari defeating Iga Swiatek 6-4, 6-4. So, obviously, we're sad that Iga is um, out of the tournament, but she is in the doubles final. Yeah. Which is great to hear, so at least she's having some success again at the French Open. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we expected a lot from Swiatek in this tournament. But, um, I mean, last year, wasn't it, was it her French Open debut? 
Yeah. Yeah, and she won. So yeah, making the no, quarterfinals think... the second year is not bad at all. Yeah, and also, like, Maria Sakari is not a player that you should be sad about losing to. I think Iga also took a medical timeout in this match, so maybe it was just, like, a lot of tennis because she was going pretty deep in the doubles as well. But, I mean, also great for Maria Sakari, and we're going to talk about this later, but a great tournament for Greek tennis as well. Yeah, for sure. And then we have Pavlyuchenkova defeating Rubikina. So Pavlyuchenkova is the finalist, the French Open finalist. Nobody expected. She is the final seeded player. She's seeded 31 in the tournament. And she is in the final, which is insane. So the score there was 6-7, 6-2, 9-7. So definitely a close um, score, but um, as we can see from Pavlyuchenkova's semifinal, she was able to recover from that long match. And then finally, we have Zidansek defeating Paula Bodosa, 7-5-4-6-8-6. This was definitely notable because, I mean, we expected a lot from Paula Bodosa considering how wide open her section of the draw was. And, I mean, when she got out of the tournament, it was just, like, it threw everything off, so... Now we I mean, have. I, I, don't, I don't think it threw everything off. I think she still made a very great run to the quarterfinals. I mean, Zidonsek was having a Cinderella run, and she was playing amazing tennis, and that match was obviously super close. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I definitely think we, we thought Budosa was getting to the semis, and we probably underestimated Zidonsek's firepower because obviously no one really saw her coming. But I think for those four players at the in the bottom half, Pavlyuchenkova, Rybakina, Zidansek, and Bedosa. Those two matches were insane. Like, you saw them go in those three sets, like, to the distance, distance. Um, Rybakina had that great win versus Serena. Um, and she kind of, we talked about her before the, before COVID, like, before the COVID pause, Rybakina was on fire. I remember we used to talk about that a lot um, earlier on. Yeah, And yeah. then she kind of went into a slump. And now she's, I mean, this is a great result for her, so... Um, I think for all four of these players, it was awesome. All eight of them, actually. So, sticking with the WTA, we're going to go into the semis now, and then just a little brief preview of what the final's looking like. So, our first semifinal was Barbara Krejcikova defeating Maria Sakkari. 7-5-4-6-9-7 in another incredibly tight match. It was super emotional. The crowd was really into it. I watched a few bits and pieces of that match, and it was uh, it was quite the whirlwind. Um and after her semifinal win, Barbara actually, uh, she was really emotional. She was thanking her team and everyone. And then she also thanked Yana Novotna, who was a legendary Czech tennis player who actually passed away just about four years ago. So Krejcikova said, um, while she was thanking people, she said, and also Yana Novotna from upstairs, she's just really looking after me. I really miss her and I really want to thank her because of her I'm here. It's really important for me to say this out loud. Thank you. So the reason we mentioned this is because not only is Novotna great in the sport, but actually she started mentoring Krejcikova ever since uh, Barbara was playing like ITF events and when she was ranked outside the top 300. So the fact that she saw her potential then I think is really interesting and, you know, nice to see it coming full circle now with Krejcikova now in the singles a final, final of a singles Grand Slam. Um, uh, and, I mean, you could see how much this meant for her. So, but, I mean, as much as Barbara has been killing it on the singles court these past few months, it's not even just Roland Garros, not even just the clay season. We've been talking about Krejcikova for the past few months now. Since Dubai. Um, cause, since Dubai, yeah, yeah. That was an insane run. But, I mean, she's also 
quite, I mean, before her single success, she's won two doubles Grand Slams. Yeah, exactly. And she's also in the women's doubles tournament into the finals. So this was the part we expected from her, the doubles yeah. final. <laughs> yeah. But then added to that, the singles, making the singles final, that's also insane. And like we were saying before, she's into the final versus Iga, actually. And Iga's partner is Bethany Mac- Matic Sands. She's, I love her. She has such <laughs> fire. It's crazy. Um. So yeah, and then the... As for the other semifinal, we have Pavlyuchenkova defeating Zdantek 7-5-6-3. So, actually, a few years ago, Pavlyuchenkova was considered the next big thing. She was junior's number one at only 14 years old, which is crazy. And then she reached the 2009 Indian Wells semifinals at 17 years old. She was She's a six-time Grand Slam quarterfinalist, and her first quarterfinal at was actually at the French Open 10 years ago. So she does have some consistent Grand Slam success. It's just getting to the even later stages of the tournament. And finally, she was able to do that. And it seems like she's going the distance. Um, And then, according to the WTA Insider, um, Pavlyuchenkova is the first woman to play more than 50 Grand Slams before reaching her first Grand Slam final. So that's crazy, but at the same time, she deserves it. She's been shows her perseverance, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And not only that, all that experience is going into this one Grand Slam. So I mean, it seems like it was all building up to this moment, and it's amazing for her, especially considering the fact that she nearly quit the game a few years ago, which is crazy. And now she's here. I mean, it really shows that if you just stick to it, you will start getting results. Yeah, I mean, we talk about this often, but Josefina and I, in the grand scheme of things, I guess you could say we're fairly recent tennis fans in terms of, like, following the sports super, super closely. Because we're pretty so, recent. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but, like, like when when, you, when we were researching and we saw reach the 2009 Indian Wells semifinals, I was like, I was in kindergarten in <laughs> 2009. I was in pre-kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean... She's someone who's had, like, a ton of success and has been a very top... I mean, she's had 37 top 10 wins in her career. And she's never been in the top 10 herself. I think there was, like, a stat, again, from WT Insider that was, like, she's the woman to have the most top 10 wins without ever being inside the top 10. And so she's always been a huge force to be reckoned with on the tour and then has had to battle a lot of different struggles. Um... And to see it all coming together 10 years after her first quarterfinal at Roland Garros is so, so nice to see, um, which is why our hearts are with Pavlyuchenkova for this one. But either way, going to the final, I mean, Pavlyuchenko versus Krychikova, 100% ex- unexpected. I mean, everyone always says that, like, the, the, like, the French Open is on the WTA side is always super unexpected, but I think this was to a whole nother level, especially looking at the semifinals. Um, I don't know if you had Tamara Zidonsek reaching the semis, I don't know what kind of, <laughs> um, like, powers you have, but, I mean, unexpected, but these two women totally earned their spots here, and, I mean, and if you take a look at their clay season success, too, this year, it's also um, not... Uh, totally surprising retrospectively that they've been able to play so well in Paris. 
Yeah, so starting off with Pavla Uchenkova, like we said before, she is the 31st seed in the tournament and into the final. Um, she's also the first Russian woman to reach a Grand Slam singles final since Maria Sharapova at the 2015 Australian Open, so it's definitely been a little bit, six years about. Um, and then some notable wins actually during this tournament for Pavla Uchenkova are that she bageled Arena Sabalenka, the third seed, in the third round, 6-4, 2-6, and then 6-0 in the last set. And this is a big win, especially this early in the tournament, because Sabalenka had so many expectations going for her in this tournament because, um, because of how well she'd been doing on clay, and it definitely wasn't expected of her. And then I finally, think she was my predicted champion. Yeah, I, I think, think so. And then she had all this built up, to finally have that Grand Slam run that we've all yeah. been waiting for from her. Yeah. And then, I mean, Pavla Uchenkova stopped, and now she's t- going to the finals. So I guess um, it was worth the loss. And then she, um, she as in Pavla Uchenkova, defeated Victoria Zarenka, the 15th seed, 5-7-6-3-6-2. So Azarenka definitely had a big stride of wins last year. This mm-hmm. year, not so much, especially on clay, but still, she's... An amazing player and definitely a hard win yeah and i think like their head-to-head was like 6-1 or 5-1 in favor of azarenka so for pavlyuchenkova to really turn that around is impressive and i mean in this clay season she only played two tournaments but in terms of the big one which was the mutua madrid open she made the semifinals and she defeat you know madison keys carolina Pliskova, jennifer brady and then eventually lost to sabalenka but um, she also made the semifinals in doubles at that same tournament. So she had, and this, and Madrid, as you remember, was right before the French Open, just about a week before, and that was, like, that last big one. Uh, oh, no, that's a lie. That's a lie. Sorry, I was, I mixed up Madrid and Rome. Um, but either way, it was, like, one of those masters. So uh, to have that good success going for her going into the French Open was definitely probably reassuring, especially since she was out in, like, the first round of the Australian Open. So to have that little bit of extra confidence going into this grand slam seems to have helped her yeah um and then going back to what we were talking about about how she has done in previous grand slams like this is her best result by far but like we were saying before she is a six-time grand slam quarter finalist so making it to the second week is definitely a sort of a regular thing for her actually and like we said before she's a one-time french open quarter finalist she's had the most recent quarterfinal as of the Australian Open in 2020. So that's also recent. Like, these aren't outdated. Yeah. So it's great to see that she's finally taking it and then going the full stride with all this experience that she has under her belt. Yeah. As for Krejcikova, she had also a bunch of notable wins. First of all, Svitolina, 6-2-6-3 in the third round. Then in the next round, Sloane Stevens, 6-2-6-love. And then in the quarterfinals, Coco Goff, 7-6-6-3. So she's, and obviously we talked about both these women had insane, uh, you know, semifinal matches. Or, well, in Krejcikova's case, that semifinal match versus Sakari was also incredible. Um, so Krejcikova has really showed her, showed her capacity at this tournament too. 
Yeah, and then she also had some clay success this year. I mean, she made it to the round of 16 at the Italian Open, but that wasn't even the biggest part. She won the Strasbourg 250 right before the French Open, and mm-hmm. obviously this was key to her performance. I mean, really building that momentum. I've seen players deciding to play the smaller tournament before a um Grand Slam like this just to gain that momentum, gain some confidence, and it seemed like this decision really worked for her um because i mean getting that confidence and then having those wins already just going in and taking more it really makes sense and it helps the timeline of the whole thing um and then as for previous grand slam performances her best result was actually the round of 16 at the french open in 2020 and here's the most surprising part she has never played in the main draw of wimbledon or the u.s (laughs) open which is crazy um I mean, we have a Grand Slam finalist who has never played half of the Grand Slams, (laughs) so. But just as deserving. I mean, she clearly has showed that, you know, she, I I just think that, like, I mean, I I said this before, but WTA is unexpected, but this is a whole nother level. Yeah, this is like the final of the darkest of the dark horses. (laughs) Like, the dark horses we didn't even think to put in because they're the dark horses of the dark horses. Exactly. That's how deep we've gone. Yeah. Um, Pavlyuchenkova and Krejcikova have never played each other before, but, I mean, I think we can expect a pretty good match. They did get, you know, the rest day after their um, semifinals, but we've predicted Pavlyuchenkova. She's also the person who we would love to see succeed just because she does really deserve it after all that success for so long um, that she had a few years ago. Um, she does also seem to have more experience, I guess you could say, but at the same time, Krejcikova has been in major finals before in terms of the doubles and mixed doubles side of things, but I guess singles is a different ball game in this sense. I don't know. It's a lot of unknowns, not only because they've never played each other, but also just because they've never been at this stage before, but um, hoping that Paul Vyachenkova pulls through, but honestly, I think that it would be nice I, I think it, I mean you could you, you've seen them both I mean they've both been so emotional this week which has been really sweet to see and I think it's good for the sport and I mean on one hand you've got this final coming up on the other hand you've had Rafa and Djokovic playing there for like their 59th or 58th time so it's like two completely different sides of the sport but I think just as um lovely to see so I just hope that we get a a nice match out of this so now we're going to transition into talking about the ATP a little bit. Um, unfortunately, no, we're kidding, we're kidding. Um, Are we? <laughs> um, in our quarterfinals, first we had Novak Djokovic defeating Matteo Berrettini 6-3-6-2-6-7-7-5. I'll just add my two cents here. I'm very proud of Berrettini. I think after losing those two first two sets a lot of players would kind of mentally be frazzled and you know not really be able to pick their game up but he was able to take that third set and have a really you know competitive fourth set so I think that he has some great takeaways from an awesome clay season so I'm happy about that um then we had Rafael Nadal defeating Diego Schwartzman 6-3-4-6-6-4-6 love Diego def- uh beat uh, Djokovic, uh, no, sorry, not Djokovic, he ended Nadal's streak of, um, sets one at Roland Garros, so that was, and he was the one who had done it before, uh, a few years ago as well, so nice to see that I think it's safe to say that, actually, Diego Schwartzman beat Nadal 
in the semifinals. It was not Djokovic because, you know, losing that set really <laughs> broke his confidence going into that match, you know. It was a big deal for him. So really So really our final is Schwartzman versus I am so down for that. Yes. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Then we had Alexander Zverev defeating Alejandro Davidovich Fukina 6-4-6-1-6-1. I'm sure Eli and Miller, who were guests <laughs> on our previous episode, are going to be super happy about Davidovich Fukina's run to the quarters. Um, and then lastly, we had <laughs> a rivalry that will always serve to Little be entertaining. Little kid who doesn't know how to fight. Put- and BS Russian, <laughs> yep. <laughs> Um, Stefano Tsitsipas defeated Daniil Medvedev 6-3-7-6-7-5. But hey, Daniil reaching the wow. quarterfinals. I mean, this is epic. This is epic at Roland Garros. As for the semifinals, obviously we have the big one, Djokovic defeating Rafael Nadal 3-6-6-3-7-6-6-2. Well, I mean, people were talking about this, like, insanely like this is the best tennis we've ever seen this is some crazy tennis and honestly i was not expecting it i'm not even gonna lie so um because yeah they actually let the fans stay despite the curfew that they had for covid i mean i don't exactly know how that happened but um i guess it was worth it because funny story actually i was i watched the first two sets and i was like yeah like it's so interesting watching it from in my at least watching it as a fed fan because i think everyone has their gravitation towards one of the three and that's obviously fine go debates aside you there you have an attachment to some player and it's you know uh, that's what makes it uh that's what makes it so amazing that you have such great amazing three players who are still able to play for so long and stay at the top but um I was like pretty neutral in terms of like who I was rooting for because you know there'd be pros and cons for both I guess like if Rafa wanted to be like happy for him but then I'd be like oh he'd probably beat Tsitsipas in the final and then get to 21 grand slams which is sad um but then for Djokovic you know Pros was be like, oh, like I like the way he plays, I guess. Good chance for Steph, and it'll be sort of interesting to mix it up at Roland Garros, but then cons. I don't think I need to get into my cons about Djokovic. But um, I just think that, you know, it was it was so, like, it, it was so epic already in the first two sets. Then I was super tired, so I went to go take a nap. And then my mom woke me up, woke me up about, I don't know how long later, and she was like, he won. And I was like, in my head, I was like, oh, probably Nadal won. And I was like, oh, who? And she goes, Djokovic. And my and I immediately woke up. I got out of my bed. I was like, wait a second. This has this, implications. This Hold What's on going on here? Yeah, and then I did the mental calculations. I was like, wait, if Djokovic won this and he wins in the final tomorrow, that means he'll have two Roland Garros titles, which no one else has in terms of having um, two of each Grand Slam, which means that he's going to go further in the GOAT debate, which means that Nadal isn't going to get his 14th Grand Slam, which means he's not going to pass Federer for 21. And I kept, like, my mind was going crazy. I was like, oh, my God, did I just miss two sets of tennis history? What did I what, Why did I choose to nap at this time? Yeah, and I mean, this is definitely a huge feat for Djokovic. I mean, the only other people to beat Nadal at the French Open are him and Robin Soderling. So now that he's done it twice, I mean, that's a big, that's a big, um, I was going to say big ask, you know, I was <laughs> inspired by our past <laughs> guests. So, um, yeah, and then some quotes from Djokovic include, I'll remember this match for a very long time, not only because I won, but also because of the atmosphere. 
I mean, I feel like he said that after almost every match, but it's okay. Yikes, Josefina is really not holding back on her Djokovic distaste today. Look, um... I somehow got sentimental. You know, I put my croc hate aside for a little bit, and I was like, you know what? This is so cool to see. But I, I, and tomorrow I'm going to be like, oh, ew, come on, Stefanos, let's win this title. <laughs> and then his other quote was, it's hard to find words for Rafa's achievement in Roland Garros. The amount of wins on this court is incredible. You know you have to climb Mount Everest when you meet him there. Okay. Um, <laughs> Josephine is really not having it with these jokes. No, I quotes. mean, it's fine. You do you, you know. Gotta please the press. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, she's really not happy. I mean, actually, Josefina, I think you should share your main motivation as to why you wanted Nadal to win this match in terms of uh, the number one ranking. I oh my god, yeah. That. No, if Nadal won and Djokovic didn't make it to this final to defend his freaking points, then Medvedev would have been number one in the world. And Well, no, I don't think it would have been that immediate. I think Medvedev would have to have done a little bit better at the tournament but it would have made yeah, it easier yeah. like it would have no, made it would have closed the gap more. to become number one because the world would just melt into chaos the world needs yeah, that exactly. chaos it'll be yeah no so we need chaotic. that slamless world number one chaos yeah all right as i was saying i was getting kind of like tennis geeky nerdy sentimental after this whole match because it was i don't know i just felt like this was Everyone, I mean, it was so crazy. All, so many tennis players, so many tennis greats were all talking about how insane this match was and how history was literally unfolding on court Philippe Chatrier, whatever. Um, which I think is like kind of weird for us to um, come to terms with, I guess, because we are and such young so tennis far. fans. Well, oh no, that's not Well, yeah, I'm, also. Oh, I got confused. Hold on. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, like, you know, being pretty young tennis fans and people talking about I I think sometimes it you take the big three for granted and like all that they've done for the sport for granted but then when you realize like everything that they've done is so and unlike also the fact that like anyone else will ever do running out for them it's so exactly sad. exactly it's so weird to imagine and but to be able to see them I think still play at this level is a gift so Oh my god, look at me getting all sentimental over the two big three Shabia, members who are not it's even also big fans a.m., so. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's probably also why. But the point that I wanted to make here is that a lot of people were talking about how this win sort of cemented Novak's place as the GOAT, which is, I mean, sure, we can go into that. I mean, there's definitely a big point there in terms of I mean, I, I, I would sort of agree with the arguments behind that, but we're not going to get into GOAT debates here because, sure... I mean, Novak does seem poised to get there at some point, but I think that what the big three has done, have done for the sport is way bigger than having to engage in petty, salty, fan base goat debates right now when we could be appreciating the fact that they're so awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, because those, yeah. those arguments are so pointless because of how biased each person is. Like, not only is it, it's just arguing against a wall except it's three walls at the same time it's ridiculous yeah also like sure like also like i mean yes like it does seem that Djokovic is gonna come through with like the stats and stuff which is totally fine but everyone's gonna have they everyone have well not i don't want to say everyone but like so many tennis fans have their one member of the big three who they feel so close and attached to and that's totally fine 
because they've contributed so much to the sport being fans of them is like you know such a such a sacred thing for the sport and no one needs to diminish that for anyone else by introducing some sort of petty conversation about like no but my big three member is better oh, than no your big but three if you member. look you at the I mean? sets to breaks um master's statistics <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah so no we're not we're not doing that here yeah okay now let's um talk a little bit about how nadal felt after this match because that was also yeah a bit definitely sad. his quote was i'm sad i lost at the most important tournament of the year for me but it's just a defeat on a tennis court you know and tomorrow i'll be at home with my family so i think oh and he said that's okay um so uh, i just find the last part of the quote so nice that at least he's gonna have his family there when he's sobbing he's such a he's such a humble loser like in terms of like he takes a loss very well better than any person i've ever seen in the sport and i mean it's Roland Garros like he loves this tournament you see it every single he year right so every year yeah every he's such a crybaby him and Federer are such crybabies if you think about it but um yeah i i felt really bad i don't know this was a this was a lot of emotions for me i today. didn't expect I this I, actually from this french open i didn't expect it at all i was like oh it's just another rough Foley match like what's the big deal and then i was like wait yeah. a second these guys aren't gonna be around forever <laughs> why would you say it like that <laughs> i don't know because they're gonna retire soon and it's gonna be weird yeah that's true Anyways, we're getting a little we're getting a Sebastian little Sebastian Cordo, world number one. <laughs> okay. Anyways, I'm more like Matteo Berrettini, yeah, world number one. But isn't whatever. he we like the get, same age range as them two? No, he's in his mid twenties. They're like fifty. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about the other guy who's into the final. Let's talk about that. Oh, yeah. Semi. So we have. Oh, yeah, them. So we had Stefanos <laughs> Tsitsipas defeating Alexander Zverev. 6 3 So, um, I mean, Tsitsipas, he didn't even have to come through here because Zverev's average rank of opponent was 97 <laughs> en route to the semifinals and he had to play no top 45 players until Steph. So Zverev is now 0 to 10 versus <laughs> top 10 players in the Grand Slams. Mm, it is an unfortunate statistics for statistic for him, but not for us. So we are completely okay with it and yeah. Oh my god, Josephina yes. and I saw a TikTok today. My that God, was like don't the even. real it was some girl she was like the real reason girls watch tennis and then it was like just a bunch of pictures of Zverev and we were like what the hell is this and then we looked at the people comments agreeing. and the comments people agreeing and this one girl commented she was like I heard he I heard he um abused his girlfriend or whatever is that true and then people responded no he denied so the no. allegations and, and then and she was like, he denied the allegations, so no, she didn't hit. He didn't hit her. And then I was just like, what? And people were yeah. buying into it. No one, no and one had an as issue good with Samaritans, it. Like, what the heck as good is Samaritans this? of the tennis world, we got you guys. Okay, we bombarded those comments with the facts. Okay, we got it. 
<laughs> yeah, well, it was just, oh, it just made me so uncomfortable to see that. But anyway, moving away from him, let's talk about the Greek guy, Stefano Tsitsipas, first Greek player to reach a major final. He was so emotional after the match, I nearly cried. Um, and he said in his post-match interview, you know, all I could think of was my roots, where I came from. I came from a really small place. My dream was to play here, to play on the big stage at the French Open one day. I would never have thought I could. And at 22 years old, this guy is the youngest Roland Garros men's singles finalist since Rafael Nadal in 2008. And he signed the camera after the match with the words, let's do it for the love of the game. Mm-hmm. So I was getting really emotional. I don't, I hate when I get emotional over ATP matches. Like that's not supposed to happen. They don't deserve my time and energy, but uh, it was just so nice It's to a see. toxic emotional attachment that we can't fight anymore. <laughs> We're too tired for this. <laughs> So, the final. We have Tsitsipas versus Novak Djokovic. So, I mean, Steph has the Monte Carlo title going for him. It was the biggest achievement this clay season, and also from all of his clay seasons. I mean, his first Masters 1000, and he's been doing great throughout. Amazing. Everyone expected him to make it to the final from that half. So it's amazing for him to, like, deal with the expectations and pressure he had on him. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I mean, the Monte Carlo title actually speaks a lot because, I mean, that was the first time he really made a big run in the clay season. So then to mm-hmm. have this following up, I mean, it only makes sense that he really comes through and pulls through here. And then we have Novak Djokovic. So if he wins, he'll have won all the slams twice. We mentioned this before, but... Yeah, and it's something that Rafa or Roger have not done. So it's a really big record that he would get if he does. But both players have a lot going for them. So it's a lot to consider. Yeah, so Steph had played 3 hours and 40 minutes in his semi-match, and Novak played 4 hours and 13 minutes. And obviously Djokovic is a more experienced player going into their match, but... We do want to draw your light to, and we've mentioned this a few times, but they had a super tight semifinal match here last year where Djokovic actually won the first sets handedly, 6-3-6-2, but then Steph fought back, 5-7-4-6, and then ended up losing the fifth set, 6-1. But Steph had him on the ropes. I mean, he was playing really well in the second half of that match. And, um, I mean, I think that that's something that they both will probably be reflecting on going into this final because that's the... They played here last time, best of five, and at the same tournament. They did just play in Rome, where Djokovic won four, six, seven, five, seven, five. I had totally forgotten that they played in Rome. Like, that just, like, fully escaped my memory. I don't know about you, Josephina. But um, their head-to-head is 5-2 in Djokovic's favor. And both of Steph's wins have come on hard courts. But I think Tsitsipas has grown so much since last year when they last played at the French Open. I mean, whether it be reaching the Australian Open semifinals and then the clay success that he's had so far. Um, and so I also think that if Rafa had gotten to the final, I would say that Steph's chances at the title would have probably been much lower, just considering how comfortable Nadal feels in the final setting. So I'm hopeful for a Greek Grand Slam Yeah, champion. for sure. And I mean, considering all that, I think definitely I can speak for the both of us when I say that our heart says sits of us. And honestly, my head would agree, but, um, I mean, Tsitsipas needs to, like, close it out. Like, we know he's an amazing player, he can do so well, but if he can just, you know, really 
have a strong as strong a finish as he does a start then we he like has so many chances like he is the one for sure but yeah i mean yeah yeah i also like because like today like with the well yesterday technically with the zverev match he won those first two sets and then faltered for the next two right and then had to make it up yeah. for it in the last set and i think in the first game with the fifth set he was down love 40 on his service yeah. game in the first game with the fifth set so big clutch um you know regrouping there but I think if he can keep his head in the game, he's shown that he can play against these big guys. Um, and, you know, I'm just I'm just hopeful that... I mean, the last time Djokovic beat Nadal at the French Open, Stan Wawrinka ended up winning the whole thing after beating him in the final. Where so, is Stan? I miss him, Maybe. Man. And maybe Sitsipas can uh, channel some of Wawrinka's energy and bring mm. that to this match, but... Let's just hope for let's just hope for a not a complete wipeout of Sitsipas. That would be nice. Thank you so much for joining us, and that is game, set, and match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you all the coverage of the French Open finals, upcoming grass tournaments, and of course all the tea on tour. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Hold On To Your Racket is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on social media at Hold On To Your Racket on Instagram and at H-O-T-Y-R underscore tennis pod on Twitter. Our next episode will be released after Roland Garros where we will recap the finals and celebrate the start of the grass season. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Travia. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hold on to your racket until next time. <laughs>